All right, if you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Ephesians. <clears throat> Ephesians is right between Galatians and Philippians. It's one of those New Testament letters. You're also going to see once again that I've passed around sheets with the scripture. Does anybody need one of those? Everybody have one? If anybody needs one, there's extras on the table. Uh, our big question tonight is this. Why do we need the church? Hear now the word of the Lord. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And he, that is Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Ephesians 5, 23 through 27. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This is the living and active word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word by which we might know your truth. Lord, would you help us to see the beauty and purpose that you have behind your church tonight through your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you watch any movie nowadays or read a book or, or listen to music, one of the themes that comes out is the theme of individualism, that you have to do your own thing, you have to figure it out on your own. To give you an example of a movie, uh, many of you might know the B movie just because of its status as a meme nowadays, but it starts with a guy named, a bee named Barry B. Benson, right? And he's doing everything like every other bee in the hive, and he realizes, I need to do my own thing. I need to find my own way, and so he leaves the hive, and then the whole movie ensues. And that's kind of the idea that a lot of things have nowadays. We grow up believing that we need to do life all on our own, that we need to find our own way, that we need to be independent. And so what we do is we apply that to our Christian faith. We think it's just me and Jesus. I got to figure it out. I got to do my own thing. But the result of this thinking is that you and I feel alone. We struggle in our faith. We lose steam. We feel like a failure. We feel like we have no one to turn to, and it's really difficult. And the Christian life isn't actually meant to be that way. You see, you and I, we actually need the church. So tonight, to see how we need the church, we have three pictures, all from the book of Ephesians. The church is a building, the church is a body, and the church is a bride. And those three pictures will show us why we need the church. So first, the church is a building. Now, I don't mean physical building, because that's what you might think of when you hear the church is a building. Now, we know at New St. Peter's, we don't own a building, so we know the church is more than a building. We're sure about that, right? there's a more important building, and that's the building that's talked about in Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22. I'm going to read that again for us, but note the building language all throughout that passage. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, 
built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Hear that building language, right? You're built together, joined together. There's a structure. There's a spiritual house. Now, the thing is, people always gather around something. Think of any gathering of people. They're gathering around shared interests. Think about the clubs and the organizations you are or have been a part of. Maybe you're in a, in a theater group, right, and you're gathering around, around that. Maybe you're on a sports team that's gathered around a specific sport. Maybe you're in an organization at school or a club. You always gather around something, some shared interest, right? The church is no exception to this, actually. The word church in the New Testament literally means the called out ones. And the word church is kind of referencing a, a word in the Old Testament which meant the assembly, when all the people of God would assemble and would gather together. So the church is a gathered people, just like any other group or organization. But the question is this, what is the church gathered around, right? Well, the church is gathered around God's word. That's the foundation that it talks about here, the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That means God's word. And the central message of this word, as we've talked about before, the cornerstone, as this passage says, right, is Jesus. We're actually built up on him, is what it's talking about. The cornerstone would be the central thing that you would lay, and you would put everything on top of that as you built the building. Think about it this way. The vast majority of New Testament books are addressed to churches, not to specific Christians, actually to churches. And the ones that are addressed to specific people actually assume churches throughout the Bible, or throughout that particular book. Excuse me. Um, sometimes it's hard for us to see because we see a lot of yous in the New Testament. And you could mean you singular. It could mean you plural, right? Could it mean, is it you or is it actually like y'all, for example, right? Sometimes I think we'd be better served with a translation that says y'all whenever it's you plural, right? You call it the NSLT, the New Southern Living Translation. All right, but back to our, back to our building image, right? It's not only in this Ephesians passage. It's all over the New Testament. First Peter says that you and I are living stones being built up into a spiritual house. Now, First Peter was written by Peter, and Peter would know what the church is because he was there when Jesus first talked about the church. You see, in Matthew 16, Jesus asked his disciples, hey, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And right then, Jesus changes his name and says, you're no, no, longer, you're no longer Simeon or Simon, but you're Peter or Cephas, which means rock, right? And he says, upon this rock, I'll build my church. Jesus is using the word church. But then what happens just a few verses later in Matthew 16 is that Jesus starts talking about going to the cross, and Peter says, wait, wait, Jesus, you can't do that. And then Jesus actually rebukes him, and instead of calling him a strong rock, he calls him a stumbling block. All right? well, what's going on? The church is a building, but it's built not upon a person like us, but actually a person, the person of Jesus, and he's the cornerstone. Let me give you an illustration of this. Uh, we had some good friends in seminary, and they had a set of Jenga blocks. Okay, no surprise there. You guys all know what that looks like. But they had those out at their wedding, and what they had people do was everybody signed a block. So you'd play Jenga, and you'd, you'd pick a block up from the bottom, and you'd read somebody's name, and then you'd place it on top. You were literally building with people almost, right? Now, those Jenga blocks don't do any good if they're sitting there away from the stack, right? You need to build them up together. And that's the idea here. The church is a building where you and I are built onto the foundation. We're built onto the cornerstone of Jesus. So what does it look like for us? What does it mean for us that the church is a building or a spiritual house? Well, if God is building us up together, then you and I can't stay separate. We can't be that random jingle block on the other side of the table, right? We have to be together, being built together. 
That means you and I must engage in and must participate in the life of the church. Now, that doesn't just mean RYF. There are many other things the church does. Think about home group, right? How can you participate in your home group as you get older, right? But more importantly than RYF and home group, most importantly, our action is actually Sunday morning, when we're all united as one church, united in worship of God. Now, it's easy to miss things at church. It really is. I mean, we might need to sleep in. We might have too much work to do. We might have something else we'd rather do, right? But the thing is, if we're Christians, if we believe what the Bible says, we're actually called to be built up together. So my question is, how are you going to seek to answer that calling? How are you going to seek to be involved and participating in the church to be built up together? So the church is a building where we're being built together with Jesus as the cornerstone. But second, the church is a body. So the church is a body. Look at that second passage in Ephesians, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And as I read it for us, note the language here of body, but also note the language of gifts. And he, that is Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The body of Christ, it says, until we attain to the unity of faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So did you hear that body language in that passage? So the building image we just heard talks about us being built together, but the body language gives us something more, okay? It's this, that we all actually need one another as parts of the body. Verse 11 talks about gifts that Jesus has given the church to build them up. There are other passages in the New Testament that talk about these gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 is one that talks about gifts that the body's been given. Now, this is the thing. If you are a believer in Christ, if you have the Holy Spirit, you've been given spiritual gifts. Okay, Spiritual gifts. You can find lists of them all over the place in the Bible. Gifts like faith, giving, service, mercy, teaching, wisdom, all sorts of things. Right? Well, why were we given these gifts by the Holy Spirit? Are they to keep to ourselves, just to feel good about ourselves? No. Actually, it's to help the body of Christ grow, and actually to help us grow. Because somebody in the church has a gift that you don't have and a gift you need, right? You might really need encouragement, and somebody comes and gives you encouragement, right? So look at verse 16. This is what it says. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, right? Talking about the gifts you've been given, that equipping. When each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the body of Christ and says we need all the different parts. We can't lose a hand or lose an eye or not want this or not want that. We need all of us together in the body of Christ. And this is actually to help protect us. Look at verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. As we hold together in the church our individual faith is actually protected, right? And that's a great thing, and that's why we need to be built up together. Think about the game that we played tonight, right? People on the different teams had different roles. If everybody did the same thing, if everybody wanted to, you know, shoot the water balloon launcher, that's not going to work. You need people to hold the ends, right? If everybody wants to hold the ends, nobody wants to go get the ball, you're not going to have a second shot. You need everybody working together. Now, you're doing different things, but you're all working towards the same goal. And that's the same idea as the church, so the church is a body, and Christ is the head of the body. 
Now, I was curious, some of you might like this, some of you might be a little grossed out about this, but I was curious as to how long limbs could survive if they were off of a body, okay? If one of your fingers is cut off, it can last about 12 hours or so, maybe a little more, but then it has to be reattached. If it's an arm or a leg, you have six to 12 hours to reattach it. After that, you can't do it. But if your body is cut off from your head, you literally have seconds, and that's it, right? Think about that in regards to this metaphor, right? What does it mean to be cut off of the body from an extended period of time? That's not good, right? So we need to be joined together as one body, and particularly, we must always be joined together with our head, that is, Christ. So what does it mean for you and I in our everyday life that the church is a body? What does that mean? Well, that means we need to be attached to it. That also means we need to be serving the church with the gifts that we have. Now, many of you are serving. Many of you were serving pre-COVID. Many of you wonder, how can I serve? We have so many opportunities at New St. Peter's beyond RYF, right? There's nursery and worship training if you're 16 years old or older. There's setup crew on Sunday mornings who needs volunteers. Uh, there's sound, sound crew, ushers, greeters. We have a communion guild that sets up communion before the service and helps take it down after the service. We have setup for soul. We have the RYF worship band. There are so many opportunities. And the question is, how can you get involved? Or if you are involved, how can you stay involved? Or if you were involved pre-COVID, how can you get re-involved, right? The big way to do it is to ask. Ask somebody. Ask me. Ask, ask one of your leaders, right? And say, ask your parents and say, hey, I want to get involved. I want to try to do this. I want to try to do that, right? How can you get involved in serving the church? Because believe it or not, you all have valuable gifts, you all have the Holy Spirit, which means you've all been given, all you believe is have been given gifts with which you can serve the church. Now, you don't necessarily know what those are, right? But there are two ways to figure that out. One is to ask people, right, and say, hey, how do you think I'm gifted? And that's good and that's important. But the other thing is to actually do things. To actually do things and have somebody say to you, hey, you're really good at this. Or things go well when you do this, right? Believe it or not, all of you that have the Holy Spirit have been given spiritual gifts, and you're meant to use those to serve the church. So I encourage you to figure out what those are, right, and figure out how you can serve the church, because that's what we're meant to do. And as you find you're doing that, you're also going to find that people are serving you in return as part of the body. So the church is a body where we serve and where we serve Christ as the head. Third, the church is a bride. This brings us to the last passage in Ephesians, Ephesians 5, 23 through 27. I'm going to read it again for us. And note the language of a marriage, right? He's comparing Christ and the church to a marriage. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Okay, so marriage, what, what we're saying, Paul is saying this passage in Ephesians is marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. How? Well, in the first thing, the church follows Christ. It uses the language of submission. The church submits to Christ, right? What does that mean? It means it's no one else's church. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's not the elder's church. It's not the pastor's church. It's Jesus's church. Why? Why is that the case? Well, he's the cornerstone, as we've heard. He's the head of the church, yes. But note the language here. Because he gave himself up for the church. He died for the church. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ died for the church, as it says, to sanctify her. Now, sanctify is just a fancy word, meaning to make her holy, to make her more perfect. 
Now, it's not hard to look at the church and say, yeah, she needs to be made holy, right? She's got some problems. It's not hard to see that. And many people dismiss the church for this very reason. They say, okay, I see the church and it's not what I, what I think it should be, right? It's not perfect. Many people have been hurt by the church. Maybe some of you have been hurt by the church, right? Many say, well, the church is full of hypocrites who don't actually live out what they believe, right? Flawed people and let alone all the war and violence that's been caused by the church over the years. And so people dismiss the church. But do you want to know the truth about all those things? The truth is it's not the church that's doing those things in one sense. Because people outside the church do them. No, the problem is not the church as an institution. The problem is you and the problem is me. You see, we have that war, that uh, hypocritical spirit, that violence. We have all those things in our own hearts, right? So the problem is, if we're going to be involved in a church, it's automatically going to become imperfect because it's, I'm there and you're there, right? It's not just the church that needs perfecting, but it's us within the church that needs perfecting. You see, we need Jesus. Think about it this way. Who are you going to expect to find at the hospital? You're going to expect to find those who are sick, right? Those who are in need of a cure. It's the same thing in a church, right? And so we need Jesus. This is Jesus who gave himself up for us, for those that are not just sick, but actually dead, to regenerate us, to renew us, right? To bring us back to life, to give us new hearts and new spirits. You see, Jesus gave himself up for the church. When we think about Jesus dying on the cross, we often say, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And that's true. That is totally true. But sometimes we view it very personally, like my sins, right? But if you look throughout the Bible, Jesus died for the sins of a people. He died for his bride. He died for a unified people attached together in the body of Christ, the church. He died for all these people's sins together. He died to save a unified people. He died to save his bride, the church. Now, certainly the church is imperfect. Certainly the church and we ourselves have wrinkles, spots, and blemishes. But the promise is this. One day we will be made perfect by the same Jesus who died for us and who rose from the dead. Uh, one illustration I love about this kind of perfecting of the church is the slave trade in England, which happened for many years, and the church was complicit in, unfortunately, for a long time. But eventually, a group of abolitionists, one of them by the name of William Wilberforce, they, they fought to end slavery in England. And historians go back and look at that, and they say, why did they end slavery? What, what did they get out of it? And the historians are puzzled because they didn't get money out of it, they didn't get power out of it, they didn't get anything out of it, right? So, like, well, why did they do it? Well, if you look back, it's because those people were committed Christians. They believed in the ethics that the Bible taught and were trying to live that out in their particular life. And they were actually able to make meaningful change in the world, right? The church is not perfect, but the church is being perfected. So what does it mean for us? What does it mean for you and for me that the church is Christ's bride? Well, what does it say about Christ if we reject the, the one he died for? If we say, we don't need the church... But Jesus says, no, I gave myself up for the church. That, that doesn't fit, right? Instead, as part of the church, together with everybody else, we're being made holy. We're being sanctified. And that happens especially on Sunday mornings in worship. You see, what happens in worship? Well, in worship, we come back to Christ's word. We come back to that foundation we talked about, right? Christ's sacrifice. Sometimes it's hard to listen to a sermon, but I want you guys to do this. Every time you listen to a sermon, listen for the bridegroom. Say, where is Jesus here? Because every story in the Bible whispers his name, right? So when you listen to a sermon, say, where is the bridegroom? Go back to Christ's sacrifice, because he's there. 
Also, one of the things we do on Sunday mornings is we take of the sacraments, right? We, we see baptism. Some of us have already been baptized, right? Or we come to the Lord's table. What these are is to be able to visually see and touch and actually taste God's grace, which is pretty amazing that he gave us that gift. So in baptism, we're observing it in somebody else, and we're vowing to help pray for them and bring them up, right? But in the Lord's Supper, we're actually eating physically, right, and drinking physically. And as we physically eat and physically drink, believe it or not, by the Holy Spirit, we're spiritually growing. We're spiritually being nourished. And that's amazing that God gave us these things so that we can grow. But those things happen in church, in worship. So we need to put ourselves in those places that we might grow and that we might be perfected. It also means that we submit to Christ, right? And we submit to his government within the church. Uh, people talk about the idea of church discipline, and it seems like a scary word. But discipline can simply mean people that are caring for you, that are looking out for you, that are wanting to encourage you and help you. Maybe if you're living in sin or if you have a sin, they're going to want to help confront you about that. That's not always going to be easy. But they're out in your, for your best interest in mind because they want to help you grow. They want to help you be perfected by Christ. And this happens all the time in the church, most specifically all the way at the top with elders, right? But all the way down through your parents, through the volunteers here, leaders here, right? So my question is this, how can you put yourself in a place to continually be perfected by the church on Sunday mornings? And how can you submit to the church? So the church is a bride and Christ is the bridegroom. So hopefully you've seen just from Ephesians, but I can tell you the rest of the Bible is clear. There's no concept of an individual Lone Ranger Christian out there doing their own thing. That's just not a thing. Never. Uh, there's an African proverb, which I love, which says this, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. We live in a world that's all about fast, all about everything now. But the thing is, it's not going to get you far, especially in the Christian life. What we're meant to do is we're meant to be a body together, a building together, a bride together, and we're meant to go far. We're actually going to be perfected and are being perfected by Christ. I want you to think about this. Think about all the leaders here, all the volunteers for New St. Peter's, all the staff, all the elders, all the pastors. Why do we do what we do? Why do we serve? I'll tell you this. We serve because we're trying to use the gifts God has given us to serve and build up the church. And I hope you will think that as well. Because the church is a building where we're built together on Christ, the foundation, the cornerstone. The church is a body where we serve with Christ as our head. The church is a bride where we submit to and are being perfected by Christ, the bridegroom, who gave his life so that we might live, so that the church might live. You see, to know and love and serve Jesus, we must know and love and serve his church. Let me say that one more time. To know and love and serve Jesus, we must know and love and serve his church. We need the church. As has been our practice, does anybody have any questions about this question? Right? What questions do you have? Yeah, thanks, Ben. So the question was, those that didn't hear, what's the difference between the church and the capital C church? Because sometimes you'll see church with a little c and church with a big c, right? Church with a little c means our specific church, New St. Peter's, right? Which is an expression of the building, the body, and the bride of Christ here where we are. But then you'll see the church with a big c, which is all of the church, all believers, right? Yeah, so all these things are true of the universal church, 
And they're true of us as a particular church underneath that. Yeah, thank you. Other questions? Other thoughts? All right, if you think of any more, you can ask them to your leaders during small group. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you, came, you had your son come so that he might die and that he might win a people to himself. Lord, would you impress upon us day after day, week after week, how amazing it is that you have saved us and that amazing it is that you've united us, not just to you, but together to your church. Lord, would you help us to find ways to be more and more connected? Would you draw us near? Would you stitch us onto the body of Christ? Would you build us on the cornerstone of Jesus? And Lord, by your spirit, would you help us to find out what our gifts are so that we might use them to serve the church? Uh, May we find a home here with your people. Thank you so much for your many blessings that you pour out on us. Thank you most especially for your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.